God can take us simple, plain water. And with a little bit of faith, faith like Mary, a little obedience like these servants, and a little belief that we are exactly where we need to be, this divine appointment idea, we can be transformed into something so much more desirable, so much better in the sight of God. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. Going to a familiar passage, I believe, if you're one that likes to read their Bible through in a year, you certainly would have come across this. John chapter 2, and we'll just read the first three verses as we begin our message this evening. John chapter 2, and I'm just going to be, begin reading now in verse 1. The Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Water into wine. Open with me now in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you so much for what, for what we can learn from it. You wrote this book. You, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told authors what to say. Everything in this book is perfect. It's exactly the way it needs to be said. It's written exactly the way it needs to be written. And though it may have been written thousands of years ago, it's just as applicable today as it was back then. Lord, I'm so grateful that you have preserved your word as you promised you would. I'm so grateful that we can still hold that book and we can learn from it. Lord, help us to learn today, to draw closer to you, to grab some truths that we can take with us and be better. We need better Christians. We always have, but even more so now as we draw closer and closer to what could be the time of your return. So Lord, through these crazy times, what we need the most is just real Christians who will be real believers, who will do real things for you and stop pretending, but be who we need to be. So God, help us to be that this evening. Thank you for this passage. Use us now, we pray in your name. Amen. The first public ministry, the first public miracle of Jesus is John chapter 2, turning water into wine. I say the first public one, I can't help but imagine, he probably didn't, but maybe he did some, some side miracles growing up. I don't know, as a kid, maybe mom really needed something and he kind of just, it was there. Maybe big feast was coming, everyone was over and she just didn't have enough oil and he kind of just, you know, waved his hand. It's like a Jedi wave. He just waved his hand and oil was there. I don't know if he did that, maybe he did or he didn't, but this is the first public miracle that Jesus had done that we have here in the scriptures and it's significant because of that this is the beginning of his earthly ministry and I think it's interesting to note he started his earthly ministry at age 30 it's a good age last year I would have told you it's a scary age but now I'm safe to say 30 is a good age I'm already two months away from being 31 that's Man, time is flying by. 
30 years old with Jesus, and now with him are his disciples. Now, not all 12 disciples are with him. As far as I can tell, there might be about four, four disciples that are with him. If you read in the chapter previous, and uh, from the context of the other Gospels, it would appear that they were, uh, we know for sure there was Peter, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, and uh, more to come for sure. But even if not all 12 were present, this is where it all began. And this is where our story begins today. There's many truths for us to, to grab today. So we're going to get right into the first thing I want us to consider this evening is a divine appointment. There was a divine appointment at hand. Look back in verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So Mary was already at this wedding, and you read commentators, and most people would agree the reason Mary was already there is because she was a part of the wedding. She was there. She was helping Maybe it was a family member or friend, whatever it was, she was already there. And verse 2, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So Mary, perhaps having being uh, helping perhaps cater or run the ceremony, I don't really know all the details, and I guess nobody really does exactly what took place that day, but Mary was there. And also getting an invitation was Jesus and his few disciples at this time. No mistakes are made. This wasn't just a, oh, Jesus, you can come and ah, if you have any, if you want to bring those guys that follow you around all the time, yeah, you can bring them too. It may have to the disciples at this time, and I don't actually think they were technically even official disciples, apostles, I should say. They were, uh, the apostleship would come later on. But these are just, just, this is just the very, very beginning of a, a strong bond between Jesus and his di disciples and here are these couple guys that come along. And perhaps they're thinking this is just a normal, average marriage. You know, we're, it's going to be great. We're going to see two people make a commitment to each other. And we're going to party. We're going to have some food. We're going to have some fellowship. It's going to be great. They did not realize what was about to take place, what was about to begin on that day. And it may seem just like a normal, average day to them, but it was a divine appointment. God needed them there. They were supposed to be there. So many times things happen in our life and we kind of push them off as coincidence or luck or, or chance. But may I suggest to you and tell you that God doesn't believe in chance or luck. God sees it all. He foresees it all. It's, it's, it's there. Everything happens for a purpose, for a reason. Nothing is an accident. You look at the craziness in our world today. It wasn't an accident. It, it, was, it was there for a reason. Jesus and his disciples were supposed to be there at this marriage. It was a divine appointment. God was setting the stage for something great to happen. And every time something great happens, it all starts with a divine appointment. It all starts with the beginning of it. God may have something fantastic in store for your life. That divine appointment is the first step. Getting you to where you need to go. The disciples, in order, they would have never gotten this invitation to be at this marriage had they not, at least from what we can tell, had they not been connected to Jesus? Had they not in the previous chapters, the previous days prior, 
chosen to drop their nets and follow Jesus, they would have never been there. There is a series of events that always leads to something that points back to Jesus, that points back to God. We don't have to understand why everything in life happens to us. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes, you know, well, it's fun to think back and go, man, now how did I get here? <laughs> what had to happen for me to get here? I think about that a lot. How did I get here to Canada? What events had to take place? And there are so many things that could have easily happened that would have completely altered my future. I mean, you can go all the way back to when I was at yeah, high school. I was 17, and I was really praying about two Bible colleges. Should I go to West Coast, or should I go to Ambassador? Now, those are both on the complete opposite sides of America. And my parents, I had a lot of support pushing me towards Ambassador. There was a lot of great things they offer. A lot of, it was smaller. It was, I mean, doctor, it, 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 there, was, there was no really no wrong decision, except God pushed me to West Coast. And I ended up there, and that's how I met uh, Pastor Justin, Justin Wamsley, that's how I ended up coming here and how the story unfolds. And it's interesting if you, were, if you were ever to look back at your life and just to try to see all the little things that took place to get you here, I guarantee you'd miss most of them. So many other things orchestrated by God in your life. It all starts with these little divine appointments, these appointments that God has placed in our life to get us to where we need to be. There are no mistakes. Sometimes God has to do something uncomfortable for you to get you eventually where he needs you to go or where he needs you to be or to give you a chance to do what he needs you to do. But our story today starts with this appointment. Verse 2, both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. All right, the appointment has been set. The customers have now arrived at their uh, their appointment, that's stage one of our story today. But that's just the beginning. You see, the next thing I want us to consider this evening is Mary's faith. Mary's faith. Look in verse 3. And when they wanted wine, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. This, I, I mean, every, every couple of verses here could turn into an entire message in itself. There's so much packed into these 12 verses. But I find this, these two verses very fascinating. Mary had a problem. Now, I don't know if Mary was maybe the one overseeing the beverages of the ceremony or the catering, or maybe she was just in the right place at the right time and she overheard that uh, they, had, they were running out, so they had run out. I don't, I don't know how involved she was, and nobody does. But Mary hears that there's a problem, and she goes to Jesus. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a great idea, a great plan. Like, there's a problem? Go to Jesus. I have a situation. Even it, it wasn't even directly, perhaps even on her. Maybe it was somebody else's responsibility to look after the, the wine, the, the grape juice. I don't know. But Mary heard a problem, and she went right to Jesus. 
It was her faith that made this miracle happen. Jesus' response is, is uh, it's, it's interesting, verse 4. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Jesus was not afraid to perform a miracle, but he wasn't planning on doing it right here. He wasn't planning on his first public miracle being at this moment, this point in time. So it would seem, by the way that he responded, he definitely had... He definitely was going to start his public ministry. That was the whole reason he came to earth in the first place. But it appeared he wasn't prepared for it to be quite here at this moment. If Mary had simply thought about asking Jesus, man, there's a problem here. I should probably ask Jesus, no, nah, I mean, uh, no, nah, maybe I'll ask him about something else later on. If Mary had just not even, had not gone to Jesus in the first place, perhaps this wouldn't have even happened. This, it, would have, it wouldn't have started at this moment. It wouldn't have started at this time. But Mary's faith saw a miracle happen. She, Mary's faith saw the miracle performed. So many miracles. So many, I should say, so many things that could have been miracles go undone because we simply don't ask for them. I look at my own life, so many times I think in my life where I could have gone to God for something, I could have asked God for something, could have asked him more fervently, I could have not given up on something, and what I did, I can't help but think, I wonder if, I wonder if that could have gotten answered. How many times we as Christians just don't go to God in prayer, we just don't ask him, we just don't, we have a problem, we have a situation, and yet we we neglect to take it to the one that could, that could fix it. The one that knows about your problem in the first place. I mean, he allowed it to happen. Maybe he allowed it to happen just so that you can go to him and ask him to take it away so that he can show himself strong in your life. Mary knew her son. <laughs> Mary knew Jesus. And like I said at the beginning, I don't know if Jesus had done tiny little miracles in, in the home for Mary to see. Probably not. I don't know. But Mary knew who Jesus was. Mary knew that Jesus could fix a problem like this. And it was Mary's faith that saw this very first miracle come to, to fruition. Where is your faith at today? When you have a problem in life, I mean, as a Christian, it should be obvious. You have a problem, you go to Jesus. Now, if you have a big problem, it's easier to go to Jesus major health conditions, you're, uh, you're going bankrupt, this, that, those problems cry out to Jesus. What about the smaller problems in life? You go to Jesus? Mary's faith saw a miracle take place, which leads us to our next thing that I want us to consider today, our, our next thought that I want us to consider. And these are all tied together in the end, we have a divine appointment. We have Mary's faith. And I want you to see the servant's obedience. This right here. I mean, I know I've read this passage a dozen times. But there's a phrase in here I need you to catch. Change your life. Verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants. So... It would appear that a Mary, Mary took Jesus' statement. <laughs> Jesus says, 
woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So Mary took that as, all right, he's about to fulfill the miracle. This is great. Moms know their sons, I guess, because her reaction is, okay, hey, servants, come over here. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Did you read that in verse 5? His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's a statement right there. That's a statement. Now, these are servants, so their job is to obey, right? I mean, that's, you, don't, you hire somebody, and their job is to do what you tell them to do. That's the same. I mean, you watching this are, are a servant of some kind. Everybody has a boss in the workforce somehow. You were hired to do what, you were t- what you're told to do. Now, sometimes you rise the ranks and you have a lot more leniency. You could, you could start creating jobs, creating things to do, and then telling other people what to do. But the same is true. You tell somebody to do something, and if they're getting paid, then they need to do it. So we look at these servants and we think, oh, yeah, they're supposed to do that. But aren't we as Christians servants of God? Verse 5, it just, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, what did Jesus end up asking the servants to do? Verse 6, and there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they fill them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and there, and they bear it. So we know the story. We know what happens. Jesus tells them to fill his pots with water and they get filled and all of a sudden they're wine. It doesn't make sense because it's a miracle. And that's the whole idea. Jesus does the impossible. These servants, they listened, right? They obeyed. We don't see them thinking, I mean, they probably thought, well, this is weird. You want me to fill them up with water? I thought you needed wine. They probably were thinking these thoughts, but they just did what they were told and the miracle had been performed. But Christian, if Jesus were to ask you to do something, would you do it? If God were to come to you and ask you to do something, would you do it? So many Christians read God's word. They hear preaching, preaching like, go ye into all the world and, and preach the gospel to every creature. That's not a suggestion. That, that's a command to tell people about Jesus. This is God telling us to do something. And how many Christians look at that and find a way to not do it? To not tell people. To not be a witness. To not proclaim the gospel to people. Are they obeying God? Well, no. They're not. How many How many? Commands do we find in the scriptures as a Christian? This is how we should live our life. This is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do. This is what we should look at. This is what we shouldn't look at. This is who you should hang out with. This is who you shouldn't hang out with. There's very clear commands throughout the Bible, yet Christians look back at these commands sometimes and we pick and choose what we want to obey, what we, what we want to disobey. God is looking for Christians today who will just do what they're told. We're to be servants. This is why Bible, the Bible harps on pride a lot. Because when pride wells up in our life, we sometimes think we can pick and choose what we want to do. And God says, humble yourself. Be like a servant. And Jesus showed us how to be a servant. 
He washed the disciples' feet. He was humble. He was lowly. He wasn't high and mighty. He would sit with the, the, the publicans and sinners. What kind of a servant are you? Do you obey the words of God? We can stay on this subject for a, a long time. Parents, could, could this be your life's motto? Could you tack this up on your wall? And could you live by these words, parents, that you will do whatever God asks you to do? If God were to ask you as a parent right now to consider serving God, even just serving God more, being more involved in church, going out, maybe even coming and trying to, to pass out flyers, to be a better soul winner if God was challenging you to do that. And that's kind of a silly challenge because we know God would ask that of any Christian to be a better witness. I mean, that's the reason we exist here on earth, to glorify God and to tell others how they can know God and glorify Him with their life. Parents, could that be your motto? If God were to tell you as a parent, would you consider allowing your child to serve me? If God told you to do that, would you? Here's one right here that my dad often would challenge people with is, what if God were to challenge you as a parent to encourage your children to serve God? To encourage your children, to push them to give their life to God, to push them to give their all to the Savior. I mean... Why else would you bring your children to church? Why else would you push them to join youth, uh, youth class and go to teen camp? Why else would you push them to go to church if you weren't at home also pushing them to serve God with their life? But we live in a society where there's contradictions, where parents are pushing their kids to church, and then when they come home, we pull them away from God. It's a, uh, no, no, don't, don't do that with your life. Don't do this with your life. You need to, you need to stay here at home. But then you push them to church and they're hearing something else and it's a bit confusing. And I don't mean to harp on this too much, but I want you to just consider yourself, what kind of a servant are you? Ask yourself this question. Kids, would you consider obeying God, whatever God asked of you? I was 12 years old when I, when I knew that God was needing more people to be a pastor, to be a missionary. And it wasn't a magical calling or a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. It was just, this is the need. Will you help? And I was 12. That's not very old. It's actually pretty young. And it doesn't matter, children, if you're listening, it doesn't matter how young you are. There's a need. And you could even now start cultivating your heart to serve God. Teenagers, are you willing to do and obey Whatever God has asked you to do, college and career, would you be willing to shift your career to obey God's calling, to obey God and to do more for him? These servants were asked to blindly follow Jesus. They perhaps didn't even know Jesus. Maybe they, he was an acquaintance. I suppose if the servants were there and they knew Mary, they probably knew Jesus, but nobody knew that Jesus perhaps was God. At least, at least not yet. In a few minutes they would. They would start to believe these things. But perhaps one reason people have difficulty obeying Jesus is that they don't really know him very well in the first place. These servants may not have known Jesus, but they followed him. A lot of times God asks things of us, and yet we decide it's difficult, it's hard. I don't know if I could serve you, Lord. I don't really, I don't really know if you're capable of doing that. You don't really know God. You get to know him today. If God were to ask you to do something, would you do it? Would you act like these servants or would you act like 
the religious rulers of the day. So much to be had in these 12 verses here, but we've seen that there's a divine appointment. There's appointments set for us all throughout our life. Some are little, some are big. We see here Mary's faith. We see the servant's obedience. And then I find this part very interesting. Verse 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made, wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until, until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. This miracle was a small miracle. It was a small miracle. Now, I'm not downplaying a miracle because a miracle is not small. A miracle is big. Whether the miracle is considered a small miracle or a big miracle, maybe I'm confusing you right now. This is my point. Jesus' first miracle on earth, it wasn't raising the dead. It wasn't causing the blind to see. It wasn't doing something miraculous, healing a leper. It wasn't raising, it, it wasn't something miraculous like he would eventually do. He'd turn water into to grape juice, turn water into wine. That was his first miracle. I mean, I guess from the reaction he had to Mary, maybe, maybe his first miracle was going to be more grand. I don't know. But to those few people there, and really the only people that knew were those servants, Mary and his disciples. So it wasn't like a whole grand, uh, there wasn't a whole multitude of people watching, but just for those servants and those that were faithful, those that were, that were obedient to Jesus, got to see this miracle. And in reality, of all the miracles that Jesus had accomplished and would accomplish, this was kind of a small one. Water into wine? Why would Jesus bother with this? Why would Jesus, I mean, shouldn't, somebody messed up. Somebody maybe didn't count properly. They had, there was too many people that came in, and they, they didn't, the mouth was wrong, and they ran out. And it seems like they ran out. There was quite a bit left in the party to do. I'm not sure, but somebody miscalculated. Why did Jesus bother with this? This, in my mind, this, this uh, such, such a small thing. His time of doing miracles in public had not yet come, but yet he was willing to do this small miracle in front of this small group of people. Why did he do this? Why would he do any miracle, for that matter? I mean, verse 11 tells us, this beginning of miracles to Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. His disciples believed on him. Jesus, just the chapter before, told them, drop your nets and follow me. And they did. But it seems right here, is where that confirmation came. They followed him. Perhaps there was a bit of doubt still. Perhaps there was still a little bit of uncertainty. 
Why would Jesus take the time to do this small, maniacal little miracle? I think the reason was, was pretty simple. To manifest forth his glory and so that his disciples can believe. Sometimes God will answer and do miracles for us, small miracles, that only affect a couple of people. That only, I suppose, the disciples believing would eventually affect a lot more than a couple of people. But just in that moment, there were just a few people that were affected by this small miracle. Imagine Mary not stepped up and said, Hey, Jesus, I know this is small and quite frankly insignificant. This is some marriage that we don't know about. It's some marriage in Cana. We don't know the names of the people. We don't know anything about this wedding. And as soon as it's done, we never hear from it again. Insignificant in history. Yet Mary still stepped up and said, Jesus, I know this may seem small, but could you do this? And Jesus did it. Jesus listens to us. If we come to him with a, a, a pure, a clean heart, Jesus listens to you. He listens to us. When we come to him with, with requests, small or great, he listens. And more times than not, we see Jesus answering these prayers, answering them. Jesus saw an opportunity to do a really insignificant miracle, but it brought him glory. Sometimes the requests we ask God are selfish. They don't really benefit anybody but us. But if we bring up a request to God and there's opportunity for God to have his name glorified, uplifted, there's a really high chance that that miracle, that that, that prayer request could, could be answered in the way that you want it to. Mary came to Jesus with a pure heart. Jesus gave this miracle to them. Don't ever think your prayer is too small for God. Don't ever think your, a, request, a request that you have is just, I don't want to bother God with that. You can't bother God. He loves us. He cares for us. We have uh, I have kids, and yeah, they're annoying sometimes. Sometimes they don't listen. But if they ever came to me, and they, I can tell some, they really, really wanted something. No, I won't always give it to them, of course. What do the kids really, really want? Uh, toys and things that are useless. But I'm going to listen. And the more they persist, and the more sad they look, the softer I get. I cave in sometimes. And God is far, far greater person, God, human, God, far greater being than I ever am. God's love is insurmountable. He knows the impact of even little things in life. Don't ever think your prayers are too small for God. He's there for us. And the last simple thing for us to consider today is just this idea of water into wine. Water into wine. You know, when I first came to, to this church as an intern in 2011, I, I, the only thing I really had going for me was I, I wanted to serve God and I had enough energy to keep up with kids. That was pretty much it. I was as green as they come and I still feel Almost, I feel almost just as green as I was back then. And by green, I mean, I, I, uh, I, was, I didn't know very much. I didn't have as much knowledge, as much wisdom. I, I was still in Bible college. I was, still, I was just a kid. I didn't really know much, except I just I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. 
I had very little skills in preaching and in teaching, and in, I had never run anything in my life. I had never organized things. I barely, you asked, asked, asked Pastor Devian, I did not know anything about a computer. I barely knew how to turn one on. I, I just, I was clueless. I come from a very low technological family. And it was great, honestly, to, to not really have much technology in, in life growing up. I didn't know much. And if you were to ask me now, or ask me then, how did God get you to that point? I would say, I don't even know why he chose me. I don't even know why he chose me. You would ask anybody, any pastor, any, any missionary, any good, godly pastor or missionary, and you would ask them, how, you know, why did God choose you? All of them would say, I haven't a clue. You should have seen what I was like when God first found me. You should have seen the wreck I was in when God first found me. You should have seen what I was doing, where I was at. I don't know why God chose me. I don't even know how I'm here, but I am here. Jesus turned water into wine. Water is, well, it's, it's simple. It's, it's plain. It's, it's needful. Our world couldn't exist without it. In fact, our world is mostly water. But it's, it's, it's simple in its form. Jesus turned something simple into something, well, colorful, something different. I mean, water back then was sort of, it was, I should say, wine, grape juice was considered more desirable than water. Jesus turned something basic, simple in its, in its form into something desirable. The next time you feel like God can't use you, just remember that if Jesus can turn water into wine, imagine what Jesus can do to your life, how he can transform you. Abraham was too old. <laughs> God used him. Jacob, he was a liar. God used him. God changed him and then used him. Joseph was abused and forsaken. God used him. Moses was a murderer. He was an old guy too. And scared to talk. God used him. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. God used her. David had an affair and was a murderer. And God continued to use him after he confessed of his, of his sins. Elijah had suicidal thoughts. God used him. Jonah ran from God. God used him. Naomi was a widow and God used her. Job went bankrupt, to, to say it in a simple form. Job lost everything. God used Job. Peter denied Christ three times. And God continued to use Peter. The disciples couldn't stay awake with Jesus. They fell asleep while, while praying. Mar Martha was worried. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was short. Timothy was young. Paul was too religious. John Mark quit. Lazarus died. And God used them. If God can change water into wine, imagine what he can do to us. If we had faith like Mary, if we had the obedience like these servants, if we realized that the appointment that God had placed us, that we're, we're right where we need to be, small or great in life, God can use you. Our lives are often like, our lives can be considered and, and, uh, con and compared to water. 
We see David doing this in Psalms 22. Psalms chapter 22, verse 14 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. God can take us simple, plain water. And with a little bit of faith, faith like Mary, a little obedience like these servants, and a little belief that we are exactly where we need to be, this divine appointment idea, we can be transformed into something so much more desirable, so much better in the sight of God. The disciples spent just a few years with Jesus, and look what happened to them in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I'll just read it for you. Just after being with Jesus for a couple of years, the Bible says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, that's me right there, unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They looked at these guys and said, maybe they weren't that smart. They were unlearned. They didn't, maybe didn't have the background or the qualifications they needed. But I can tell one thing about these guys. They spent time with Christ. They spent time with him. Just a small amount of time with Jesus can transform someone's life. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You give yourself to God, God will transform you into something you could never be. We don't have the ability to turn ourselves into wine, but God can. God can turn us into something great for his honor and his glory. A little time with Jesus could transform your life. Mary, the faith that Mary had, the obedience of these servants, they just spent a moment's time with Jesus. And it changed them forever. Let God change you today. You know he can. And you know he wants to. You just need to let him. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.